You have your Bibles? Let's uh, get going. We are in a series looking at the book of Ephesians. This is one of the um, letters, if you will, that the Apostle Paul wrote. Now, when we say the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, I just want to be clear and, and, and specific. God is the author of the book. And so he is the one that inspired this and, and gave Paul the words to say. And, and Peter wrote some of the New Testament. He gave Peter those words to say. And others, Luke, he gave them what to say. So when we say Paul wrote the letter, he penned it. But the Holy Spirit is the author of the letter because he's the author of the book. So this is what the Holy Spirit was wanting to tell not only the church in the city of Ephesus, but it was not only common practice, but understood that when these letters were sent to these churches in these cities, that they would also be circulated to churches around that region. So that was very common, very understood, and very purposeful. So this is a word that the Holy Spirit said, not only do the, the Christians at Ephesus need to hear that, but the Christians in the surrounding region need to hear it. And you know what? He was looking ahead to 2022 in Jefferson, Georgia, and he goes, those people need to hear what I'm saying here. So let's see what the Holy Spirit was saying and what, what he was saying then and what he's saying to us today. So we're talking today about leadership. Not only are we installing new elders, but let's look at leadership as how important it really is to every one of our lives. And I appreciate John Maxwell and many others who have really brought a, a surface to uh, leadership and brought it to the forefront. Leadership is valuable, it is necessary, and it is irreplaceable. It was about 30, 40 years ago, John Maxwell uh, came on the scene pretty strong, and he kind of reduced leadership to one simple definition. He said, leadership is influence. If you are influencing people, you are leading them. So leadership is influence. And so every one of us have people who are leading us and hopefully that we are leading others. And it's not so much as a position that we follow, but it is the person and their character and actually what they are giving that is worthy of being followed. Influencing without truth, love, character, and integrity is leading people in the wrong direction. It's one thing to be a leader. It's another thing to be a good leader. It's one thing to be leading in the wrong direction, but of course, we want to be leading in the right direction. But today, people are skipping over the word leadership or leader, and they're just going straight to influencer. You've heard that, right? We, we got little kids going, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a social media influencer. Okay. So I thought, well, let's look that up. Let's, let's see, you know, what the, the big Google has to say about that influencers. And I found four types of influencers and their follower count. First is the nano influencer. These are people with a mere 1,000 to 10,000 followers. That's a nano influencer. Then there's the micro influencer. They have 10,000 to 100,000 followers. 
Then there's the macro influencer. That's 100,000 to a million followers. And then there's the mega or celebrity influencer. That's people with over a million followers on social media. What was interesting here is that these influencers or leaders are judged by the number of people following them, not which direction they're going in. Can anyone say Pied Piper? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, you might be leading. Where are you going? What's the end result? You, you, you know, you're kind of letting the genie out of the bottle. What, what, what happens then? So it's not enough just to be a leader, but you need to lead in the right direction. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus says, When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd or a leader, and then he began to teach them many things. So here Jesus is the great shepherd, and he is the one that is the greatest leader, always has been, always will be, and he is the one that we're to be following. We're in Ephesians chapter number 4, and we're going to read six verses, but we're actually going to start with the last three and then go back to the first three. It's going to be verses 11 through 16. But we're going to start there at verse number 14. And this is going to be a little different because we're going to walk through this verse by verse, 14, 15, 16, then go back to 11, 12, 13, because we're going to see what the end result is and then how we get there. Where are we being led and then how are we being led? So let's read there, verse number 14, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. And verse number 14, then, after something, then, something has happened prior, then, he starts off verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, I don't, I don't want a response from this, but how many of you ever had a bad leader? There was somebody that was leading, but you're, you're going like, dude, that didn't work out well. And maybe you got sucked in for a little while. Maybe you got involved in something and all of a sudden you just went, oh, man, what happened? He says, there's, there's an opportunity here where when we're, we're young and impressionable and, and we might be gravitating toward the wrong characteristics instead of things like truth, integrity, and love, and we get sucked into something and we come to find out later, well, that, that person was leading me in the wrong direction. I just want to say a, a word real quickly about that. We've all, I, I think we've all been there. We've all made some mistakes about leadership, and we've all maybe gotten involved in something that was going in the wrong direction. But like children, we're impressionable. And he says, but with good leadership, then we will no longer be like children tossed back and forth and, and followed about with, with teachings that aren't going in the right direction. So if you've made that mistake in the past, well, welcome to the party. You know, we've all been there and done that. But now we've grown and we've learned. And maybe the leader that you were following may have been in a church, may have been associated with Christianity, and you come to find out, wow, that that wasn't so good. They, they didn't do so well. And now it can have, it can have a bad and lasting influence on how we look at the church and how we look at leaders. 
I was uh, in a church one time, and, and um, there, was a, there was a question, a theological question asked, and it was asked to me directly. It says, you know, Pastor Chris, what do you think about this? And it was a, it was a theological question. And so I, just about the time I began to a- answer it, another man answered it for me. And then afterwards, after the meeting, he came up to me and says, listen, you don't need to handle those kind of questions. We're going to handle that for you. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I like thought I was the pastor. I thought that's kind of my job to answer theological questions. And what I realized was because of a bad experience, he didn't want to have another bad experience. That's pretty human, isn't it? No, no faults there, right? Okay, so we move on. So here, uh, verse number 15, let's go to the next one. Verse 15 says, instead, love that word, instead of being tossed back and forth, instead, we're going to speak the truth in love, and we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So he says there's, there's an alternative to being tossed back and forth, but instead, we're going to speak what? The truth. And how are we going to speak it? In love. Not with condemnation, not with judgment. We're going to speak the truth. Now, the truth in today's uh, realm is a little, um, um, shall we say, tedious. Because everybody's, not everyone, many people are saying, well, it's, that's your truth, and then I have my own truth. I want that to work in algebra. <laughs> I couldn't convince my teacher that's your truth. It's my truth. He said, no, we got to have the answer. You know? It doesn't work in so many realms, but that's a common statement today. That's your truth, and everybody has different truth. It's like, wow. No, we got to know what the truth is. And from a God perspective, this is the truth. From Genesis to Revelation, this is true. It's God's Word. Do I understand everything? No. No. Do, do, do I live perfectly by everything? Actually, no. But I believe it. There's enough that I do understand. There's enough that is proof positive to me that I do trust. And I look at it and I go, that's rock solid. That's what gives me the emphasis and the ability to trust even what I don't understand. Because there's enough I do understand. God has proven himself faithful and true and so the parts that I'm still trying to figure out. And how many of you have been serving God long enough that, when, you know, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, or 60 years ago, you didn't understand it, but now you do? Yeah, that's how we grow in our faith and our understanding. All right, going on to verse number 16. From him, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When we look at those three verses, we look at 14, 15, 16, we see something that's beautiful. We see something that I think is appealing to us. We don't want to be children tossed back and forth. We want to speak the truth in love. We want to be built up. And as a body, we are joined and held together by what everyone is doing. All those parts coming together. We hold each other. We build each other. We love each other. And that's what leadership is about. That's what leadership is to produce. And so now we're going to go back and look at verses, what, 11, 12, and 13. So if we want, 
verses 14, 15, 16, we've got to participate in 11, 12, and 13. Let's go back to verse number 11, Ephesians 4, 11 says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, I love that, what it says there at the beginning, and Christ himself gave. That's kind of like a double emphasis, right? He could have just said, and Christ gave, or and he gave, referencing Christ, but it says, and Christ himself gave. I think there's just a, a real emphasis here. In other words, he's saying, this is not an idea that came up in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, or it didn't come up from the Baptist church or the Presbyterian church or the Pentecostal church. It came from Christ himself. And so what has Christ given to the church as offices? And then we're going to look at why. Well, first off, we see that there is the apostle. Now, you can get some different definitions and descriptions of what an apostle is, but basically means a delegate, a messenger, one sent with orders. And so there's this office of apostle. But then he says there's prophets. There, there's the gifts of the church that God's given us. There's offices. One is the apostle. Next is the prophet. This is really one who's moved by the Holy Spirit as to be a spokesperson, someone who declares uh, what he's received or she has received by inspiration, especially concerning future events, and in particular what relates to the kingdom of God and salvation. This is what a prophet does. They, they are moved by the Holy Spirit. God speaks to them, and they, by that inspiration, speak out what God has given. We think of prophecy as strictly foretelling the future. And certainly that's a main component in prophecy, but it's not the only aspect of prophecy. When someone declares the Word of God strongly and boldly and with great passion, they are prophesying because they're giving us the Word of God. The Word of God is uh, prophetic because it points us toward Him and it tells us what tomorrow is going to be like if we don't serve God and it tells us what it's going to be like if we do serve the Lord. So that's the gift of prophecy, that gift of, of being a prophet. Next is the evangelist, someone who's called and energized to tell others about Christ. You ever met one of those people that they're just an evangelist? They just love telling people about Jesus and it, the rejections don't seem to bother them. I mean, they're just like, it's like almost like they feed off of the rejection because they know I'm getting that much closer to someone saying, yes, I need Christ. And they just go for it. They just love proclaiming uh, about Christ. I, I, I heard, and, and maybe it's true or not, I'm not sure. I heard that Billy Graham pastored a church for a short period of time and he realized, ain't my calling. We all know how that ended, Right? <laughs> Okay, then there's the pastor, and that, that word, the root word of that is shepherd, uh, someone who leads and protects and guides and feeds and all of that. And in this sense, it's, it can also be used of a metaphorical sense, one who oversees an assembly. So there's the two components there. And then, of course, teacher uh, means one who is fit to teach. We've all had teachers that were great, right? How many of you had a great teacher sometime in school? You had a great teacher. And that means we might not have had all of them great, right? It's possible. But a teacher is one who's fit to teach. And so they can, they can just walk you through something. And afterwards you go, yeah, makes sense now. I didn't get it before, but now it makes sense. Well, why did God give these offices? And we could also go along with why did God give the gifts of the Spirit that are in Romans and 1 Corinthians, all the gifts of the Spirit. 
much for the same reason, but these are kind of more specific, but um, the gifts of the Spirit are always for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. All right, well, let's find out why specifically these are given. So he gave all of these, these five gifts, verse number 12, to equip his people. To equip his people. Now, that word equip here in the NIV, some translations say for the perfecting of his people. That is the only time in the New Testament that Greek word is used. It's the only time, and that's, that's very rare. Usually, words are used, and they, they have a, very, a variety of meanings based on the context. And we do that with English all the time, especially in English. We're adding words like crazy. We use them in different contexts. But it's the only time this is used, and it can be perfecting or equipping. And so we say, well, is it, which one is it? Well, it's both. It's equipping for perfecting. I think of it as a coach. I think of it as a coach. If you, if you coach sports, you know what you're trying to do. You're trying to take that kid, boy or girl, and you're saying, okay, this is what they do, but I'm going to coach them so they'll do it better. And that's what coaching is. You're just saying, I'm going I'm to equip you to become perfect, whether football or soccer or whatever it is, you know? Well, what if, what if that kid, maybe you and I have done it before, but let's blame it on the kids. Let's look at the kids for a moment. What if one of that kids says, yeah, but that's not the way I do it? And the coach says, well, yeah, okay. You know, you were in, you know, 10-year-old football, and the way you tackled them was just jump on their head and drag them down. Okay, great. That worked when you were 10. Now you're 12, and that's going to kill you. You're going to die. <laughs> so the coach says, I'm going to equip you to be a better football player. And that's what these five offices are about, is to take us, the body of Christ, and to say, I want to bring an equipping for perfecting. Let's keep reading. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. See, good leaders are always building up, and the body of Christ is always building up. These gifts are given not to tear down or not to make superstars out of anyone, but for the body of Christ to be strengthened and upbuilt so that we are being built up. Now, some buildings grow faster than other buildings, but the deal is, is that we're growing inside and outside, that we are becoming in the process of perfection by the equipping of what God has given us. And so here we find this is vitally important for us to understand that there's a reason for this, to equip his people for something, to equip, to perfect, to give the necessary tools for his people to do something. What is it? Works of service. There's a reason for that. Um, it amazes me, and I know it's because I'm, I'm on this side of, of that. I, I get it. it. But it amazes me that I, the times when, 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 when people say, Pastor, you're supposed to do the work because that's what you're paid for. I'm like, mm, I was doing it before I was getting paid. <laughs> we are the body of Christ. We are. And so we, we come along and we go, okay, God, how, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to get there? What is, what is it that I'm supposed to do within the church and within the community at large? 
And he says, I'm going to give you some people into your life that can help lead you and so that you will become fully equipped to do what I've instructed you to do. That's the body of Christ working together. And that's the leadership that, that God gives every part of the body. So he says, all right, this is what it's about. So that the body of Christ may be built up and strengthened. I know I'm asking you a leading question. But when you come to Hope Cross, don't you feel built up? That's because the body of Christ is doing their job. Because we're just, we're just here going like, God, we're, we're going to go for this. And our job, you know, no superstars at Hope Crossings, but everybody can say hi. Everybody can smile. Everyone can go shake a hand or hug a neck. Everyone can say, wow, you look great today, or wow, what a great family. Everyone can do that, and that just builds people up. It just encourages and strengthens people. And then when we see somebody going through a tough time and we see somebody just looks down, what do we do? We don't try and go solve their problem, but we go and try and lift them up and say, hey, man, how can I pray for you? Hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can do to help? And we're just trying to and build people up. That's the body of Christ at work. And that's what we're to be doing, and that's what we are doing. So let's go to uh, the next uh, verse here, verse number 13. We're going to keep building the body of Christ up until we all reach unity in the faith. Unity. That word, unity, in the Greek is only used twice in the New Testament, and it's used in this same chapter, chapter 4 and verse number 3. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now he uses that same word again. He says, until we all reach unity of the faith or in the faith. Now remember what we talked about last week. The, Ephes the Ephesian church was made up of, of what kind of people? Jews and Gentiles. And this was brand new to these guys. I mean, Jews were like, they did their deal. Gentiles did their deal, and then never the twain shall meet. And they did not intermingle before Christ. It was like, you know, we'll tolerate you guys, and we'll tolerate you guys, but we don't really like you, but we kind of kind of live together in the same city, but whatever. And now they're thrown into the same body of Christ, and they're both Christians and filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're all called to be the same thing and do the same thing, and it was like freaking them out. They didn't know how to do it. And he's saying, hey, I'm giving you these, these gifts. I'm giving you the gifts of the Spirit. I'm giving you these offices so that you can be built up, so you can be equipped to do God's work, so that we can reach unity in the faith. Now, we may not reach unity on food preferences, and we might not reach unity on music preferences, but we can reach the unity of the faith. Amen? Because some of y'all like kale. I can't go there. <laughs> I can't go there. I know some of you right now are going, but Pastor Chris, I know how to cook it. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. Amen. When you invite me over to your house, I'm asking you not to have kale. <laughs> I will not reach unity on kale. But we reach unity on the important things, right? We reach unity on what is vital. So we're reaching unity in the spirit, unity in the faith. And that's what causes us to move together because we're all going in the same direction. We're not all the same. Thank God we're not all the same. There's unity in 
diversity. If we're not diversified, we're actually not unified. The only way you can have unity is if you are different. And then you, okay, got it. So, so he says, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now, this is a, this is a cool, cool thing where we can maybe subconsciously get a little sidetracked, and so let's not. This, we might mean this, okay, that means everybody in the, in the church has got to be mature. Oh, that's the last thing God wants. Because that means we're all about 99 years old and getting ready to kick the bucket. You know what I'm saying? Because as the older you get, the more mature you get. God wants all different ages and all different groups and all different levels of maturity. We're in the process of becoming mature. You know, one of the greatest uh, uh, revelations that we get is, as people, and that is, is that there is only a certain amount of, of maturity that you can reach by just learning. As soon as you start giving, that's when your maturity level jumps up another notch or two. Because all of a sudden we go, okay, I need to go to this class and I need to go to this conference so that I can get, yes, yes, yes. Get, receive, build yourself up, get edified, get nourished, get information, not, yes. But then you got to have a purpose for it. And then we turn it around and we start giving it to someone else. And then all of a sudden our maturity level grows because then we recognize, hey, I have a responsibility to pass this on. I have a responsibility to give what's been given to me. That's what Jesus said, freely you receive, freely give. And so he's saying, we're going to reach the unity of the faith until we all come into maturity, and that's a whole process. And so as we, as people, get older and older and older, starting from whatever age we are, we've got to understand, I've got to pass on what I've learned. I've got to pass on what I know so that everyone is in that process of becoming mature. And what does he say at the end there? He says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is the measurement that we're trying to mature to? It is not Baptist, and it's not Presbyterian, it's not Methodist, it's not Assembly of God, it's not independent, name the label, it's Christ. He, he is the measuring stick. He, he's the one that says, okay, my measurement is to Christ. How am I lining up? How do I measure to the fullness of Christ? And we all know we all fall short. That's, there's, that's a no-brainer. But am I getting closer to the measurement of Christ? Am I getting closer to saying I'm, I'm just a little bit more like Christ this year than I was last year? And if you're that, then you're maturing. Sometimes, though, we might have to say, you know what? I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm, I'm not what I used to be. I, I, I was more like Christ maybe a few years ago. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Well, the, then the question is, what are you going to do about that? My, my question today would be twofold. Number one is, who are you following? I think it was J.V. Miller uh, I heard say this the first time, and I can't quote him on this, but basically it's, show me your, your five closest friends, and I'll tell you who you are. It's close, J.V., it's close, Okay. Who are you following? But the same question, different way is, who's leading you? Who's leading you? Who are you following? Who's leading you? Who are you following? That will determine the direction you're going in. That will determine if you're becoming more like Christ or less like Christ. 
And that's our goal as believers, as followers of Christ. When Jesus called his disciples, that's exactly what he said to them. He says, I want you to follow me. He didn't say, hey, say this prayer. He said, follow me. Follow me. He didn't say, join this church. He said, follow me. He didn't even say, oh, okay, you got to read the Bible 12 hours a day and memorize, you know, whatever. He said, follow me. Just follow me. I believe God today wants to heal some people who have had bad experiences of following the wrong leader, and we just need to reorganize that. We have to change our relationship with failure. Change our relationship with failure. The only way children succeed is if they fail. You got to make some mistakes in order to, to get it right. I'm not saying everybody's got to learn the hard way. I'm just saying we all make mistakes, but what do we do? We either get stuck in that mistake or we go, you know what? I'm not doing that again, but it doesn't mean I'm going to stop following. I still need a leader. I still need leaders. I still need people around me going, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Come on. And I need people around me that I'm saying, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go. That's till we reach the maturity. So I'm asking the question, who are you following? Who's leading you? Is it Christ? Or is it just whatever's on the news? Whatever's in social media? Whatever the influencers are out on social media? Well, the goal of our lives and the purpose for us being here is to be followers of Christ. Followers of Christ. Not a denomination I like denominations, but they're not a savior to anyone. Christ is the savior. We, we need groups and all that. That's fine. But Christ is the savior. And so are you following him? Maybe you're used to and now you, you don't, but I think maybe today you're here for this very reason is to say, you know what? I got to get back on track. I, I got to get back on track. I, I fell off the wagon, whatever you want to call it. Well, let's do it today. Why wait? Let's do it today. Let's start today. No, you can't make up all that space in, in, in one moment, but it's a start, right? It's a turning point. Jesus said, I want you to repent of your sin. Repent means just turn, means turn. So we just say, he's just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going the wrong direction. All right, I'm, and now I'm going in the right direction. Today, let's repent and say, okay, God, I, I have my back towards you. Now I'm facing you. I'm following. Can we do that?